episode 113 of the Rami La Vie podcast. It's a long one. We had to make up for some lost time. I hadn't been here in a while, but we covered everything. We talked about the Knicks at length. We also talked about Thursday night football. It feels like it's the first Thursday night football game that was a good one that we had in a while. And this is the biggest Jets game that I can remember on Sunday. I feel like we keep saying that, but no, this one's actually it. The Jets go to New England, a chance to beat the Patriots, a chance to get revenge on not just this year's loss, but so many years of pain and some nasty remarks by Bill Belichick. I'll tell you what they wore. Can the Jets pull off the upset? I don't know. But all that and more coming up next on the Rami Levy podcast. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. One of the things I talk about on this podcast a lot is the stigma against mental health. I think, unfortunately, there has been a stigma, but we're slowly breaking it. And if you think you might be feeling depressed, stressed, anxious, overwhelmed, or maybe you just want to talk to someone, today's sponsor, BetterHelp, is here to help you. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen and help. Talk to your therapist in a private online environment at your convenience. There's a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's 20,000 plus therapist network that may not be available in your area. You just fill out a questionnaire to help access your specific needs, and then you get matched with a therapist in another 48 hours. Plus, you can exchange unlimited text messages, and everything you share is completely confidential. So I talk about on this podcast how your mindset towards things changes everything. One of the things that I learned in therapy was that join the 2 million plus people who have taken charge of their mental health with an experienced BetterHelp therapist. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash Rami. That's my first name. That's BetterHelp, B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com slash R-A-M-I, my first name, Rami. If you use that link, the link is in the description in the podcast notes. If you use that link, you'll get 10% off and it'll also help me out. So please do that. I'm telling you it's worth it. Do it today. Welcome back to the Rami La Vie podcast, episode 113. I'm actually watching the Ranger game. They just tied it up. Wow, exciting. The second I turn on the microphone, the Rangers have tied it up on a power play with a minute 54 remaining. They're on the West Coast. Vincent Trocek gets the power play goal. So you get to listen to me react to a Rangers goal live. That was pretty fun. Um, It's been a minute since I've talked to you guys. Um... I was away for the weekend. I had written a Friday episode, um, truth be told. I had written a Friday episode. Last time the podcast came out was on Wednesday. I had written a Friday episode, didn't record it. Uh, it just didn't get to it. Went away for the weekend, was away Monday, so didn't do the Monday podcast. And then sometimes it works like that, and it's like it's part of the grind where, um, I don't know, I guess uh, you, know, you, you get down in a rut a little bit from not doing it and so Wednesday I just didn't record and hopefully I get back to where I'm recording every three days Um, I'm proud of myself that I was able to do that consistently and I want to continue doing that because I enjoyed it and all those things we talked about and I I don't want to make this about me so we'll talk about that at the end of the episode if you're interested in hearing more about kind of where I am right now um, we'll talk about that a little bit at the end of the episode 
uh, as the Rangers tied it. Just because I mentioned the Rangers, I do think the Rangers will be okay. I think they play very well. They play good hockey. Um, they play team hockey, um, and they get a ton of shots. And Igor is bailing them out of a lot of games. I was at the game on Sunday. Like I said, I was away. I was in New York. I was at the game on Sunday, and the Rangers... Um, they did. They did get bailed out. They got outshot seventeen to three in the first, and Igor bailed them out, kept them in that game, and then they got a couple of fluke goals, which got them going. They get a power play goal, and then bop, bop, bop. That's all you need, and they win. Um, they they beat a bad team, but this Ranger team right now, the way they're currently playing, they're they're getting a lot of shots. They're controlling the puck a lot. They have the time of possession, but sometimes it's not going to be pretty. Sometimes you have to score the dirty goals, um, and that's where they are right now, where they can't look at the box score and say, oh, look, we control this entire game. Sucks that we didn't win. At some point, you need to say, hey, we need to get gritty with it a little bit, and that's how you're going to win hockey games uh, in this league. And Igor, yeah, we can't rely on him to steal every game for us, even though he can do it almost every night. All right, so 2-2. It looks like there's 40 seconds left in regulation, so we'll keep you updated. Um, Other news from tonight. It's Thursday night. I already recorded my pick segment, so... The Packers play Tennessee on Thursday night, so we'll talk about Thursday night football, but I recorded my pick segment uh, for the Sunday games. Oh my god, Uh, Seattle almost just scored on Igor, and 20 seconds left in regulation. (laughs) Um, And so I recorded the picks for Sunday. I did talk a little bit about the Packers and the Tennessee Titans. I did get that pick right. I took the Titans plus three and a half, although I did think the Packers would win. I thought Tennessee would cover because I thought the line would be smaller. I don't know why teams are disrespecting Tennessee or I guess the line makers are disrespecting Tennessee and giving so much respect to the Packers still. Okay, the Rangers get a point. It goes to overtime and it'll be three on three hockey. But other things that happened tonight uh, before we get to my Sunday picks, which is one of my favorite parts of the podcast is doing the picks on Sundays. Uh, I love it. I get to pick all the games, and it really I hold myself accountable, and I had fun with it this week. I talked a little bit about the picks and kind of explained uh, a little bit more what I do. So, And with legal gambling coming to Maryland on Wednesday officially, um, that is from a reliable source that I heard that legal gambling will be in Maryland on Wednesday. Uh, there's even more to talk about. But before we get to Thursday Night Football, before we get to the picks, tonight Aaron Judge was officially named the American League MVP, getting all the votes, the first place votes, but two that went to Shohei Otani. I guess Ben Verlander gets two votes. Just kidding. Um, And I don't expect much to happen in Yankee free agency if we're talking about the Yankees and the MVP. Um, So just quickly, you know, free agency started. I'm very happy about the Rizzo signing. I'm not expecting them to go get Carlos Correa and Trey Turner and, you know, uh, I guess Justin Verlander and whoever else is a free agent. I don't know. I kind of expect them to just run it back. That's that's my opinion on the Yankees. I've made that clear. Um, as far as Aaron Judge, I saw this really interesting stat on Aaron Judge. Aaron Judge from the All-Star break through the end of the season batted 350, had a 502 on base percentage, which is absurd, had a 785 slugging percentage. The rest of the Yankees, meaning his teammates, batted 223 in that stretch, 290 with a 292 on base percentage and a 360 slugging percentage. Those batting stats are the equivalent of the 100 lost Pittsburgh Pirates. The only thing standing between the Yankees and an epic collapse was Aaron Judge. And I forgot who tweeted that. But the point is, for all those talking about how, oh, the Yankees have such a good team and they won and blah, 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 and they'd win without Judge and how much did he really contribute, 
those are just offensive numbers. Forget about the fact that he moved over to center field and took over and played there every night and played every single game down the stretch of the season. Although I know he struggled in the playoffs, but I think that was genuinely because of his uh, his swing and the way that changed um, while he was chasing the home runs at the end of the year. It was incredible what Aaron Judge did this year, and congratulations to him because he was very deserving of the MVP. He epitomized the words MVP, most valuable player. Uh, he lived up to it. Rangers control to start overtime, by the way. All right, I do want to talk about some NBA points. Um, as you see, I'm in full hockey and basketball mode, and if you follow me on Twitter, you know I'm in full basketball mode from my tweets. I went to my first hockey game of the year. Still haven't gone to a Knicks game this season, but I'm sure I'll get there. Uh, the first news, and it's really because I have to walk back. I guess it was it was not the last episode, but it happened since I spoke last, which is what happened uh, with the Brooklyn Nets. They decide not to go with Ime Udoka uh, for the rest of the season, obviously. Um, and the KD article comes out. There's also an interesting Ben Simmons article that came out. So on Bleacher Report, there was a Kevin Durant article. And then on The Athletic from Shams Tarnia, there was a Ben Simmons article. And they were both really interesting, strange articles, in my opinion. And like I always talk about with these things, you always have to consider the agenda and where this is coming from. And with Ben Simmons, it was clearly coming, it seemed like from a very pro-Ben Simmons place. And reading it, I was like, oh, this seems like it's it's Ben Simmons propaganda almost, where it's like, you know, I've been hurt, I've been doing all these things to get on the court, and people don't know, people don't realize how much I put my body through, blah, blah, blah. And Shams obviously has relationships with players he has to upkeep. He has play relationships with people in the front offices he has to upkeep. But it seems like in this scenario, he's protecting Ben Simmons. He's protecting his representation. And it was a really interesting article. The headline from it made it seem like it was very, I don't know, not pro-Ben Simmons, I guess. But it's been extreme. it was extremely pro-Ben Simmons once you start reading uh, the actual article. As far as Kevin Durant in that article, also the big headline was one line from that article where he says, look, I mean, what do you guys expect us to do? Here's the lineup around me. It's just those guys and me. And he called out a bunch of his teammates, including Claxton and a bunch of other guys. It's like, what, you expect us to be winning? So people took that as he wants Kyrie Irving back. People took that a lot of different directions. But people also looked at it as, wow, he's throwing his teammates under the bus. And in that article, he also said, that, but I don't want to leave Brooklyn, obviously. You know, I just want better players around me. Hint, hint, get Kyrie, blah, blah, blah. Ben Simmons needs to do better. Maybe put him back in the starting lineup. The point is, he's planting the seeds. And in my opinion, Kevin Durant, by February, I think it's February 9th, will not be a Brooklyn net. That's the trade deadline. And I think by mid January, he'll give them ample time. But I think by January 15th, Kevin Durant will officially ask out of the Brooklyn Nets. And this is his way of saying, look, I'm not a diva. You can't blame me. I put out this whole article where I talked about how I want to be here and I want to make it work. And then in two months from now, about, yeah, exactly two months from now, I expect within the next two months, he'll be asking out. This has been, by the way, a wild back and forth. Um, over time. And I don't want to talk about it so much because if you're listening to this, maybe you know, maybe you don't know what happened already, but uh, it's been a fun overtime in Seattle between the Rangers and the Kraken. So the Ime Udoka piece of this, 
why did they not hire Ima Udoka after everything I talked about? I talked about how it was something for next season. I talked about how it was the move for this season. So why didn't they hire him? I think the Nets ultimately decided that it was too much with the Kyrie Irving stuff surrounding him and everything surrounding this team. It's too much to add another piece to this. And I kind of agree with the Nets, right? How could you add another layer to this with everything going on with the Nets right now? It would be irresponsible for the Nets to keep Ima Udoka in place. By the way, the Nets uh, did ultimately, they beat the Trailblazers 109-107 to in a wild game in which Kevin Durant had 35 points and Ben Simmons had 15 points and 12 rebounds, 7 assists. So Ben Simmons had his best game as a net back-to-back games now for Ben Simmons uh, with double figures or not double figures. Yeah, I guess uh, with uh, double-digit points. He hadn't done that. Uh, in like 500 or 600 days, something like that. So really wild for Ben Simmons, and it's been a while for him. Uh, but back-to-back games, congrats Ben Simmons, and, and maybe his best game tonight as a net uh, as they get the win. But like I said, they couldn't hire Ime. Does that mean that at the end of the season, if this blows over and things go well, they can't still hire Ime, whether Kevin Durant is here or not? I still think Ime Udoka will get the opportunity, if given the opportunity to coach the Brooklyn Nets. The thing is, they could still go for him at the end of this year, but there are other teams out there that might step in and take him. Because if Ime Udoka is this available, I'm not sure how many teams knew that Ime Udoka was going to be this available as the Kraken win in overtime. But I'm not sure how many teams knew that Ime would just be available for the taking. And if he's available for the taking, then why wouldn't another team just come and take him? Um, and so, like I said, I still think he's the best option in Brooklyn, although they've done a little bit better of late. But I still think he's the best option in Brooklyn for not only if Kevin Durant stays and they try and build on that, but even for the long run, if they have to rebuild, I still think he'd be the best option. But I don't know if the Nets are going to get the opportunity to hire him. And with everything they've been dealing with, they couldn't hire him right now. And it sucks for the organization, but that's what happens when you put yourself in these situations. And part of that situation is the situation that they put themselves in with Kyrie Irving. And it's, yeah, it's unfortunate that Kyrie Irving is doing what he's doing, is saying what he said. But it's all part of it. It all plays into it. Um, another storyline in the NBA, as I feel like the Nets are have been the biggest storyline in the NBA. Another storyline that we're seeing lately is the Warriors. The Warriors are 6-9, and nine, and they don't look particularly good. So the question becomes, are the Warriors broken or are they just bored? Um, a lot of this could be bored. They won the championship, um, and they're a very good team. I think everyone knows that. Um, and I think at this point they're just bored. And... The other thing to look at is chemistry. We know what happened with Jordan Poole and Draymond Green at the beginning of the season. You cannot tell me that that doesn't affect team chemistry. Stuff like that does affect team chemistry. And there's nothing you could say to dispute that. And I think that right now there is a lack of chemistry with the Warriors. And they need to figure that out. And I think they will. I think they have the championship pedigree. I think they have the greatest teammate of all time who's always deferred to other people in Stephen Curry, um, but I think they'll find a way to figure that out. Another story that I've been noticing is Luka Doncic. Luka Doncic is having an insane year. He's nearly first or second or top five for sure in almost every major category. What he's been doing is really impressive, but the story is not that. The story is that the Mavs are just about above average. They're not even one of the best teams in the NBA. They're a good team, but they're not one of the best teams in the NBA. And the question is, why is that? And a lot of people point to Luka Doncic and his usage rate. If you know Ryan Rosillo, 
He talks about usage rate forever. This has been his argument with James Harden. Everyone talked about James Harden forever as he cannot be a winning player because he isos too much. And it's all about him isolation. And if you take him away and in the playoffs, it'll never succeed. Now with Luka Doncic, it's different, right? We've seen him succeed by just isolating in the playoffs. Yes, he hasn't made it to the ultimate goal, but he's so young and he's so talented and he's just about better than anyone else when it comes to isolation. But you look at the Mavs. Why are they 8-6? and six? Why are they the 7th seed in the Western Conference right now? And you look at how much Luka is isolating. And someone put these stats together. I saw them from Kevin O'Connor on uh, uh, from The Ringer on Twitter. He wrote, here are the top 10 most ISOs, or the top 7 really, most ISOs per game in the NBA. Luka Doncic is the most by far. Almost 17 isolations per game. The next best is Shea Gilders Alexander at 14.7. We'll talk about him in a little bit. Pascal Siakam is at 11.7. James Harden is fourth at 10.7. Joel Embiid is fifth at 10.3. So you think about those two players, right? Unreal. Doc Rivers, what an incredible coach. His two best players just ISO on almost every single play. And then Giannis Antetokounmpo is at 10.1 isolations per game. And by the way, when Giannis ISOs, it's different because when he ISOs, three people come to him and it opens a guy in the dunker spot. It opens people in the corner. When Giannis ISOs, he could still get to the rim. He could still drive. But sometimes he ISOs at the top of the key just by dribbling. He opens up a wide open guy in the corner and he could pass it to him. It's unbelievable uh, what Giannis Antetokounmpo can do on isolations. And then number seven on this list at 9.3 is Kevin Durant. And he'll tell you why. He'll tell you why he's isolating this much. So the question becomes... Can Luka Doncic and the Mavs win like this? And I don't think they can. I think the answer is no. I think if you're isolating 17 times per game and that's your entire offense and we know how incredible he is at it, it doesn't matter. We've seen this with James Harden at his prime uh, in Houston. I don't think someone who at this usage percentage in the playoffs is going to succeed. There is no evidence that proves that it would succeed. So... I don't see how it will work. Does that mean I think that he won't win MVP or is not one of the greatest players? Yeah, he probably will win MVP. He'll probably be one of the best players in the league this year, and he'll get the Mavs to the playoffs. But once you get into the playoffs, I don't think that's a recipe for winning. And it proved because he needed Jalen Brunson to step in and do so much for him uh, in the playoffs to help him. He doesn't have that guy this year. They need to figure out a way to play more of a team-style game, and that's going to fall on the coaching staff and Jason Kidd there to figure that out. And if they can't figure that out, they're going to fail again in the playoffs. Now, I told you I wanted to get to Shea Gillis Alexander, and what he's doing right now is ridiculous. His last 10 games, he has 42 points, 6 rebounds, 7 assists, 37 points, 4 rebounds, 8 assists, 37 points, 5 rebounds, 8 assists, 20 points, 3 rebounds, 4 assists, 39 points, 4 rebounds, 4 assists, 33 points, 7 rebounds, 5 assists, 18 points, 1 rebound, 3 assists, 37 points, 4 rebounds, 3 assists, 34 points, 4 rebounds, 6 assists, and 38 points, 6 rebounds, 9 assists. This kid is turning into an, not just a star, but a superstar in this league right now. He's turning into an all-star. He's developing into the, one of those superstar players that you can't even trade. Think about this. Say the Knicks would have tried to trade for him, right? The Knicks would have tried to trade, I don't know, R.J. Barrett, Mitchell Robinson, Deuce McBride, maybe a first-round pick. How quickly does OKC hang up the phone on the Knicks and say, no, we don't want that? This kid is so incredibly talented. Now, the weird thing about Oklahoma City is... They don't want to win yet. We've seen this before where they're play- trading players away, but he's going to help them win. They want Victor Wembanyama. They want to be in that conversation. 
And yet he's going to hold them back from being in that conversation, quote unquote, hold them back because of how talented he is. So it's a weird kind of middle situation. Do they ultimately look to trade Shea Gilders Alexander or do they just bench him? Do they get a phantom IL from him? What are they going to do to make sure that they continue to lose games? Because right now he is single handedly winning games for them. And he did it on Sunday at Madison Square Garden in an afternoon game. And this is what I wanted to get to. This was the main point I want to talk about when I talked about the NBA was the Knicks. Um, and the Knicks' effort on Sunday was atrocious. The Knicks, the Knicks' effort was at an all-time low, and the season has not gone, I guess, as planned to this point. And I was planning on talking on Wednesday's episode about how bad it's been, or I guess it was going to be Tuesday or Monday, whatever it was after that Sunday debacle at the Garden, I was going to talk about the Knicks and talk about what they've done so far this season. And that loss to Oklahoma City was a disaster. And I talk, I was going to talk about the team dinner because Julius Randle calls a team-only, players-only meeting a team dinner. And I'm like, really? Julius Randle is going to be the guy to call a players-only meeting? That's what's going to save our franchise, Julius Randle? I mean, Julius Randle was a guy who, when he had a game against the Nets, looked like he was taking as a personal shot him against Kevin Durant. You're not Kevin Durant. You're not that guy. Julius Randle, it's, when you watch him play, you start to think, well, what is this guy's ceiling really? Like, is he really that capable of being a guy who's the best player on an NBA championship team? I don't think so. And here's a guy who last year was talking about booing the fans and stuff like that. And now all of a sudden he's back and he's going to be the one leading this team. It doesn't make any sense. And it's we've seen this time and time again. It's the Tibbs effect, right? Tibbs, the second year of a team, they just fall apart, or now it's the third year already. All of a sudden, they stop playing defense, and all of a sudden, those were the headlines. Tibbs needs to be fired. They give up 145 points to Oklahoma City. Blah, blah, blah. Team dinner. My ass. And then they go into Utah on Tuesday night, and they beat Utah, and Utah's been very good this season. And then they go into Denver the following night on Wednesday night, the second of a back-to-back, and a place where the Knicks haven't won since 2006. That's 14 consecutive losses. And I know there was no Nikola Jokic, but the Knicks were down 10 in the fourth quarter. And that win, with a terrible game from R.J. Barrett and Tibbs making the right move to take Barrett out of that game and put quickly in. And Tibbs making the right move to put Sims in for a defensive possession late, which ultimately ended up being huge. The Knicks won that game. And the reason they won that game was effort, effort, and more effort. And Julius Randle and Jalen Brunson... All they talked about after the game was team togetherness and how they played for each other. They snap a 14-game losing streak in Denver. They win for the first time since 2006. They win back-to-back road games on back-to-back days. And all of a sudden, you're sucked back in because that was as fun a win as I've seen from this team since there were empty arenas. That's how special that win was for this Knicks team. But the problem is... That for the Knicks to be competitive, and I don't know if this is a good thing or a problem, but for the Knicks to be competitive, they have to put together that effort every single night. They cannot take a night off. It has to be every single night they need to compete like that. They need to play defense like that. They need to be diving for 50-50 balls. Julius needs to be getting to the rim. They need to be playing with heart and soul. They cannot take a night off where they're lax at any point. And the problem is, it's hard to do that. And we've seen this time and time again. Tom Thibodeau comes in, gets a team fired up in that first season. They play for him and they play hard and they bring that kind of effort and intensity on a nightly basis. And then they fizzle. It's the Tibbs fizzle. We've seen it so many times. And so I don't know what this Knicks team is right now. Is this a team in the middle of a fizzle? 
Or is this a team that can move forward from this and actually build on what they did two years ago? Look, this happens in the NBA all the time. The Knicks were supposed to be in a rebuild. It was the last year of Julius Randle's contract, I guess. They weren't planning on bringing him back necessarily. That a bunch of guys on expirings. Not the type of guys they were trying to build the future with. They were trying to build the future with R.J. Barrett and Obi Toppin and those guys. And then they have success. Tibbs come in, comes in that first season. They have just incredible success. Way overreach where they were supposed to be. And this is what happens every time. Teams in the middle and that middle tier of the NBA overreact to success. And the Knicks went out. They got Evan Fournier. They went out. They got Kemba Walker. This year, they went out and signed Jalen Brunson. And by the way, Jalen Brunson would have been a good move even if they were not trying to go for it because having a point guard helps you develop the young guys like Jericho Sims, like R.J. Barrett, and those types of guys, especially Obi Toppin, guys who play off the ball. So I don't think it's the worst thing in the world to bring in a Jalen Brunson, but the extension to Randall, keeping Tibbs around, if you are not going to prioritize playing the young kids and playing quickly, playing Toppin, playing R.J., playing Sims, and you're going to prioritize playing Isaiah Hartenstein, then you're not going in the same direction as the franchise. But the problem is when you get a taste of winning and you overreact to that and you're the Knicks, and then you try and go for Donovan Mitchell and you lose out on him, all of a sudden you look at where you are. And we talked about the Rangers at the beginning of this podcast who lost in overtime, and you're the owner of those teams. You're Jim Dolan. You're saying, wow, the Rangers are taking a major step back from last year. Their run to the finals. Uh, I have this Knicks team that was the four seed in the playoffs, and now it's all falling apart. Well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to I'm going to fire Tom Thibodeau, and I'm going to trade for the first available superstar. Who is it? It's Anthony Davis. Oh, there's all these problems that come with him. I don't care. I'm giving up the farm for him. Last time, you guys told me not to trade for Donovan Mitchell because there were problems, and we couldn't give up this much for him. Look at what's happening. Look at the step back that RJ took. Look at Donovan Mitchell and what he's done in Cleveland so far. I'm anxious. I want to do this. And guess what? It's the same as the Carmelo Anthony trade. So while I'm happy with the wins, I hope the wins are enough for the Knicks right now. I hope they don't tear this all down. I don't know if Tom Thibodeau should be the head coach going forward or not. Maybe they should get Ime Odoka or hire Kenny Atkinson, someone who we've seen pull together a young group and get the most out of them and get the effort out of them. We don't know what year two Ime Odoka looks like because he's not given the opportunity with the Celtics, but he took the Celtics to the finals. I'm not saying the Knicks have a Jalen Brunson or Jalen Brown, sorry, and a Jason Tatum on their roster. They don't. But we've seen this time and time again with the Knicks. Ultimately, how do I think this is going to go? I think they're going to end up getting Anthony Davis. But it's just a shame. We've seen this so many times with Utah. That's why they made sure that they had to get rid of those guys. And I think Utah is going to be trading away more pieces at the deadline because they have a mission. They want to tank. And at this point for the Knicks, they probably would rather go for Victor Wimbanyama. This is probably better for the long term of the franchise than for them to be another five or six seed in the Eastern Conference this year. But we know what they'll go for. And if they are five or six seed, they'll overreact again. And I think the next reach, the next guy that's going to be available is going to be Anthony Davis. And I believe that within a year, Anthony Davis will be a Nick. And I don't think that's a great thing for the Knicks franchise. I think if KD's available, go for him. That's different. But you look at what's happened, and you look at this Knicks franchise, and you look at the direction that they're going in, and it changed because of that first year. And it changed because of an overreaction to that first year of being a feisty team in empty arenas. So if you're going to be that team, you have to be that team every single night. And if you're not going to be that team, 
then blow it up. Not even blow it up. Just get rid of Randall. Get rid of even a guy like Derrick Rose, who I love. Get rid of a guy uh, like Evan Fournier, and you have to get rid of Tibbs because he's not going to give the minutes to the young guys. You need someone who's going to come in and develop these kids. So after two great Knicks wins, am I negative? No, I'm so excited about those wins. That was as fun a Knicks game as we had in two years, and I was emotional and fired up watching that game. I really was. But at the same time, I don't know if that's real, and I don't want to overreact to that just to be where we were on Sunday in two weeks from now. All right, let's talk about Thursday night football, and then we got a preview this week, long episode this week. I haven't been on in a while. I have to talk, right? It's been a while since I talked last, so I'm going to talk a lot. Makes sense. All right, Thursday night football, and this was like the perfect game for me. I love watching Aaron Rodgers play. Everyone knows that. I'm a huge Rodgers stan. I love watching Derrick Henry play. Everyone knows that. I'm a huge Derrick Henry stan. I have him on my fantasy team now. I love it. I love that there's a guy in the NFL that they could turn around and hand it to him 30 times in a game, and it's unstoppable. It doesn't mean that he's going to get seven yards every time. Sometimes he does get only two or three yards, but he's so relentless, and at the end of the game, you just see how tired the linebackers and defensive backs are from trying to tackle him, and eventually he breaks through and gets those big runs. It's awesome to watch him play. Now, this game was different than any other Thursday night football game. It was at Lambeau. There was a little bit of a flurry of snow, and there was Al Michaels. And at one point, while I was watching this game, I was waiting for the NBC player intros where they introduced themselves. And I was like, why are they doing these big picture intros? I don't understand what's happening. I forgot this game was a Thursday night football game. It was insane. I thought this was a Sunday night game on Amazon, or I guess on NBC. And I guess that's Amazon's goal, for you to forget that they have Thursday night football, because Thursday night football stinks. And they want to think that they have good games. And so this game, which felt like a great game, uh, did not feel like a Thursday night football game. So congratulations to Amazon on fooling us into thinking we were watching something else, Sunday night football, something, because this was an awesome game. Now, Tennessee, and this, to me, we've seen this before, is the third time that Derrick Henry has thrown for a touchdown. And... It's trickery. They do this all the time, whether it's the play where Tannehill ran out, and I, I called it before the play. I said, it's going to be a direct snap to Henry. And I think that snap was supposed to come sooner. It was supposed to be the second Tannehill ran out of there. They were supposed to snap it to Henry, but the center never even heard it. So Tannehill slaps him on the butt, and then he t- snaps it directly to Henry, and they convert on the fourth down there. I was. We've seen this time and time again, though, with Tennessee. It seems like in order to put up the number of points that they did, 27, which they didn't need all 27 to win, but they need some trickery in their offense. But they do it every time, and they do it well. So does it mean that they're a worse offense because they require trickery in order to get points? I don't think so, because this team is extremely well coached, and we talk about it with Vrabel. He's he's creative. By the way, in this game, a, a running back got a snap. A running back threw for a touchdown. They had a quarterback make a tackle, Tennessee did, and they also had their punter make a tackle. So I kind of tweeted, it's like positionless football, kind of like where we're seeing in the NBA. But the difference between every other Tennessee team and this team with all the trickery was Tannehill. Tannehill was so good in this game. And maybe Tannehill makes a difference for all that we were talking about with, oh, they just run the ball. It doesn't matter about Tannehill or Malik Willis. It doesn't matter who the quarterback is. Maybe it matters. Maybe Ryan Tannehill is actually better than people give him credit for. And so it's so funny where they come from this year, where last year we talked about them as, oh, they're a pretty bad team, right? And they were the number one seed in the AFC. This year it's like, but they're really good because they started off poorly and now they've won seven of their last eight. The one loss that they had was in Kansas City um, on against Kansas City, which was a crazy game that they were close in, right? That they could have won that game. And again, that's without Tannehill. 
And Tannehill comes back and looks like a different quarterback, looks like a real difference maker. Outside of the one pick he threw, he was incredible. And the third down conversions every single time, they were 7 for 10. They started 7 for 10 on third down conversions. They ended up missing the last three, so it's a misleading stat. They were 7 for 13 in the game. They were 7 for their first 10, and then the last three at the end of the game were when they were just trying to run out the clock. They controlled the clock. They controlled the game. This is something I talked about. I know it's repetitive. But they turned around, and they handed the ball to Derrick Henry and the running run, other running backs, too, every single time and just controlled the game and took a total chokehold on that game, took a lead, and did not let it go. And we've seen this so many times now with teams against the Packers, with teams in the NFL, teams against high-scoring offenses where they just take a hold of the game. And similar to the Ravens, I think Tennessee can do it better than anyone, and it's because with the Ravens, it's their quarterback And with Tennessee, it's their running back and Derrick Henry and what he's able to do. And I do trust that Tannehill can make enough throws to win them a football game and to convert on those big drives. He proved it tonight going 7 for 10 on those uh, third down conversions. Now on the other side where the Titans won 7 of their last 8, the Packers have lost 7 of their last 8 games. And they play Philly and Philly next. Now we'll talk about what I think Philly really is right now. I mean, we'll talk about it a little bit more on Monday. But it's not going well. And the Vikings, by the end of week 12, which is next week, could end up clinching the NFC North, which is just crazy. Considering where we were coming into this season to where we are now with this Packers team and with the Vikings team, I don't think anyone could have honestly said they saw this, although a lot of people thought that the Vikings would be pretty good this year. I don't think anyone would have predicted this. So do the Packers just suck? I think there are a lot of parts of the Packers that do suck. I don't think Aaron Rodgers sucks. I mean, the free play stat and the one he had tonight was just the awareness that he has is unbelievable. This is why I love watching him play. That free play to Christian Watson, and it looks like he's found his new favorite wide receiver. He had two touchdowns in this game, and he was targeting him late. But what happens going forward? Do they bench Rodgers? Do they try and get Jordan Love in there? It's a weird, weird scenario, and there's a lot of questions. For them to get to 10 wins, they'd have to win out the rest of the season, the Packers would, just to get to 10 wins. That seems crazy, and a Packers season has gone totally flown off the rails, and I think that's shocking to anyone, and if anyone tells you otherwise, I think they're lying to you. Now, the biggest story in my world for football before we pick the games is it's Jets-Pats week. Look, the Jets had a bye week, and we got to enjoy the Buffalo win for an extra 10 days, right? Because there was a bye week, so we didn't have to worry about them losing on Sunday. But then... It's Pats week. The second we got to like past Monday or Tuesday, it felt like, all right, enough is enough. Let's go beat the Patriots. So the Jets have the extra time off. The Jets have extra time to prepare. So do the Pats, by the way. And now it's the Jets going into New England. The Jets are 4-0 on the road this year, and they go to Foxborough for a chance to play the Patriots and not only play them, but play them for first place. And I think the key to the Jets has been their defense. The Jets' defense has been arguably, if not for certain, the best defense in the league this year. And the front four, it starts with them. It starts with the secondary with, you know, DJ Reed has not given up a touchdown this year. It starts with, obviously, Sauce Gardner. But Quinnen Williams and what he's done for this front four, he takes up essentially two or three guys to block him. And if Micah Parsons didn't exist, Quinnen Williams would be the defensive player of the year. He's doing what Aaron Donald has done and what we've raved about with Aaron Donald for years now. He's that good, and he's been that impactful this season. And so this defense, it doesn't matter who they play against. They're going to be in every game just because of the defense. But you're playing for first place. I think Zach Wilson is playing like he has something to prove. After what we saw last 
time, I guess, two weeks ago when they played the Patriots and how he fell apart in that game. And if it's not for Zach Wilson and him falling apart in the second half, I think the Jets do win that game. Also, if it's not for the John Franklin Myers penalty, the Jets probably go up 17-3 and the Jets probably do win that game. There are so many scenarios and circumstances that changed how that game ended up turning out. But there's so much hype going into this game. Like I said, playing for first place. And do you really think, we'll talk about the Bills a little later when we talk about the picks, but do you really think Miami's that great? I still don't trust them. I think Tyreek is having one of the greatest seasons ever. Does that make Mahomes, by the way, even better that Mahomes is so incredible and Tyreek is having an all-time season and it's not really affecting Mahomes that much? But Tyreek is having one of the most incredible seasons ever and doesn't feel it feels like it's really helping Tua. But Tua, like I said, still makes some mistakes. I know the statistics show that he's one of the best quarterbacks in the league and has been one of the best, if not the best, quarterbacks so far this season. But I don't fully trust Miami. I don't fully trust that defense. And then you have what Bill Belichick this week said. He's like, the Jets are the Jets. They have their own way of doing things. Right now, the Jets are the Jets. And they asked him about how this Jets team is different under Robert Sala. And basically what he's saying is, yeah, you guys are 6-3. and three. Yeah, you guys beat the Bills. Yeah, it feels like it's different. It's not. It's the same thing. You guys are the same old Jets. And can I blame him? Is he wrong? Remember when Rob Taub talked about this on my podcast? We talked about how even if they beat the Bills, we weren't giving them any chance to beat the Bills. But we said even if they do beat the Bills, we don't trust this team until they win in New England. And this is why. Because every time it feels like the Jets have the better roster, they have something to prove. It's with the season on the line, right? It's playing for first place. All the hype going into the game, the players are talking about it, the team is talking about it, the quarterback, all the different things, it feels like they blow it. Every time there's something special, every time there's a chance to do something that really matters, they blow it. And the last time I can remember a game where that didn't happen and they didn't blow it was the can't wait game, the Bart Scott game in Foxborough in New England. This Jets team has to prove you wrong before I can tell you that Bill Belichick is wrong. And they have to go out there and prove him wrong. And they haven't been able to do that. This franchise, this organization, and I know it's different. It's not these players. It's not this coach. It's not this front office. But they have never done it. And so for one time, for one time this Sunday, I just hope they prove Belichick wrong. I want to see that Zach Wilson is the guy. I don't want to be hearing about Justin Fields. I want to see Zach Wilson make a few throws that are game-winning throws. I want to see this Jets offense run the ball down their throat. I want to see this defense make Mac Jones look like the terrible quarterback that he is. But do I trust that that's going to happen? No, I don't. I don't think the Jets are going to win this game. Sucks. So we'll, we'll get into the picks. I have a sponsor for the picks, everyone. So I'm going to read the sponsorship. Fun, exciting news. New sponsor. Uh, and then we'll get into the picks in the rest of the episode. Today's picks are brought to you by Co36. You may know that I recently took a job with Fox Sports. What you might not know is I travel around a ton for sports. I travel for my podcast, whether I'm in the studio for the radio station, whether I'm at home working for Fox, or whether I'm traveling for sporting events. I want to be comfortable, but I want to look good and look presentable the way I do that. Co36, this is their branded hoodie. I love it. It's my favorite hoodie. I wear it all the time. It's soft, it's stretchy, it's lightweight, it's comfortable. It is literally the best clothing that I've had. They are the perfect 
modern day office wear brand. Um, and if you use the code HOLIDAY10 now, you can get 10% off your first order. There is a link in the description of the episode, and they are the official sponsor of the Rami Lavi podcast pick segment. Again, that's co36co, and then spell out the words 36.com. Go there, visit them today. So that takes us to our NFL picks. And with the picks, we're going to start with the Jets up in New England. And for everything I said, for all the reasons I said, I thought the line to this game would be New England minus three and a half. I don't see any way that the Jets can win this game because unless they prove me otherwise, I don't see them beating the Patriots. And Belichick said it himself, the Jets are the Jets. And as much as I want to see this Jets team go into New England and win, I don't see it happening right now. I guessed it was three and a half. I guess Vegas has more trust in the Jets than I do. And it makes sense because I do think the Jets, like we said, have the better roster. They have it at New England minus two and a half. So my system tells me to take the Patriots. So I'm going to take the Patriots minus three and a half. By the way, my system has been working. Last week, I was 10 and three against the spread. Um, The unfortunate part is that I didn't get to talk about it on the podcast. But I can prove that I did actually make those picks. And there's actually something interesting that I meant to talk about on last week's episode. If sometimes you hear a line and it's like, oh, that line seems fishy. Why is he saying that? That line doesn't seem right. It's because I use the uh, ESPN pigskin pick'em because that's how I keep track of all my picks because I'm not going to bet every single game. So I want to keep track of my record throughout the year and stuff like that, uh, which has been pretty good, making you money. Um, and so last week, like I said, 10 and 3, and you could go on the pigskin pick'em. So that's why sometimes when the lines are a little bit off, I'll tell you about the actual line. Um, but sometimes when the lines are a little bit off, it's because I'm using uh, maybe not what everyone uses with the ESPN pigskin pick them. All right, the next game, 1 o'clock also, and this game is going to be played at Ford Field in Detroit. It's the Cleveland Browns at the Buffalo Bills, but it's in Ford Field. Now, when I originally guessed the line for this, uh, when I did my work earlier today, or I guess at this point it's yesterday, um, I thought that this game was going to be played in six feet of snow in Buffalo. So I thought it was going to be about four and a half because I couldn't see the line being that much greater than four and a half with there being six feet of snow and anything can happen and stuff like that. And you don't expect a lot of points now with it being indoors and Josh Allen can probably throw the ball 80 yards downfield uh, in Ford field. So I guess the line is bigger. The line is nine and a half, but you know, I like to stay away from big numbers anyway. So I'm going to still take Cleveland. I don't love it, but uh, I'm using the system, but also take the under. So it was 41 and a half. Now it's probably grown to more than that, but even If it's more than that, you should still take the under, and here's why. There's no snow anymore, so that's why I was going to take the under. Um, But here's something interesting, and this is something that uh, actually Frankie Borelli from Barstool Sports turned me on to. When a line is greater than nine, nine and a half is the line for this game, and it'll probably grow now that's being played indoors. It is greater than nine. Generally speaking, I think at this season, it's hitting at a 60% clip. The under is hitting, and the reason for that, if you're just using logic, the reason for that is because... When it's a large spread, if the team that covers is going to win or the team that's the underdog is going to win, uh, it means that they'll play a great defensive game. Like when the Jets beat the Bills, I think that was a 10.5, 12.5 spread, and the Jets won the under hit because the team that was the underdog played really great defense, and that's why they are able to beat the Bills. 
or the alternative is that the team that is the huge massive under over or i guess not overdog underdog <laughs> the opposite of the overdog the team that is favorite um has such a massive favorite that they go up early by two or three touchdowns and then they just take the foot off the gas at the end of the game um and the under ends up hitting also so uh th- that is the reason for it and speaking of buffalo and the last couple of games obviously not great for the buffalo bills But let's not forget, they've had this every single year. Like, they had the same exact situation. Do you not remember the game when Josh Allen destroyed Josh Allen? And we're talking about Jacksonville's Josh Allen against Buffalo's Josh Allen. What was that final score? Like, 10-9 to or something like that, where Buffalo's offense just totally disappeared? Look, we're seeing some bad interceptions in the red zone from Josh Allen. Maybe he's hurt. Who knows? If he's really hurt, then I wouldn't have expected him to play in that game, but he did play in the game. So ultimately, I'm not sure what's happening with Josh Allen. I don't think there's anyone who can truthfully tell you that they know what's going on with his health. But at the same time, this is not new. We've seen this in the past with the Bills. We've seen scenarios where they have situations where they aren't so good for certain stretches of time. And this might just be another one of those cases. Another thing to look at, though, with the Bills, and because it's been talked about across the league as far as coaching... Brian Dable's not there anymore. Brian Dable was this great offensive mind, the guy who made Daniel Jones, according to a lot of people, Daniel Jones, <laughs> Josh Allen, according to a lot of people. And, well, we're getting to my point in a second. I already kind of spoiled it for you. But if the guy who made Josh Allen who he is is now working with Daniel Jones, doesn't this make sense? Daniel Jones has zero turnovers in the red zone. He's not throwing those bad interceptions anymore. We saw after he got reamed on the sideline in week one. And by the way, Brian Dable said, yeah, I don't like when people see that. You know what that means? That means he doesn't like when it gets caught on camera, but it's happening even more than we're seeing when he's yelling at people. He kind of walked it back in the press conference because he has to. But every Giants fan knows that he's still going to do it. He's still going to yell. He knows that, yeah, he doesn't like when it gets caught on camera, but he doesn't mind doing it and he's going to keep doing it. So that's working for Daniel Jones. Maybe him not being in Buffalo is actually hurting the Bills and the Bills offense the last couple weeks. Why would it only show up now? I don't know. So that's the other argument, right? We see, we've seen they've had lulls throughout the season. The only thing that's a real concern had nothing to do with Brian Dable being there or not, and that's the Bills' ability in close games. And I talked about this throughout uh, when I've talked about Kansas City versus the Bills, when people say, oh, the Bills are the number one team in the AFC. No, Kansas City's the, AFC, the number one team in the AFC. The reason why I have the Bills ahead of Kansas City is for the simple fact that Kansas City is tremendous in closed games. It doesn't matter what kind of style of football you play. They're really good in close games. They find a way to pull it out, and the Bills have not been able to perform in close games. All the wins they have are when they blow teams out, and when they blow teams out, they look great. They look fantastic, but once they have to go blow for blow where the game slows down and the team starts running on you the way the Jets did to them, that's when they start to lose games. And they were up big against Minnesota, but they couldn't close out that game. And I still think that game is kind of just a rarity because that was such a wild game. I still think that game um, is not the norm for the Bills, but I wouldn't be too concerned if I was a Bills fan right now. I still think they're one of the best teams in the NFL. But yes, they do need to get better in close games. So we talked about coaching. We talked about the Giants. The Giants are playing against Detroit, so from a game that was in Detroit to a game that's in New York, and so it's kind of funny, right? Buffalo, a team from New York, not playing in New York. They're playing in Detroit, and now Detroit is playing in New York. Technically, they're playing in New Jersey, but at Giants Stadium against the New York Giants, I guess it would be Giants minus two and a half. It's Giants minus three and a half, so I'm going to take Detroit to cover against the Giants in this game. A lot of people are talking about this. It might be a trap game for the Giants, But look, 
I loved underdogs last week. I love them again. I'm taking Detroit in this game. Obviously, the Giants looking ahead to the biggest matchup so far they are going to have on the season against Dallas on Thanksgiving. So that's only four days away. But the one thing we know about this Giants team is they're better coached than anyone. And despite them just hanging around or letting Houston hang around and hang around, hang around in the game on Sunday last week, I still think the Giants are a really good, a good enough team to beat the Detroit Lions at home. Maybe they'll beat them by only a couple points. I'm going to take Detroit plus three and a half in this game. And speaking of Brian Dable and coaching and coaching actually mattering in this league, and this is the part where Obviously, everyone was on the two sides of this, and I didn't talk about this. Like I said, I haven't recorded in a while, but everyone was talking about the Jeff Saturday hire for Indianapolis. Now, it happens to be, for some odd reason, Indianapolis, or not Indianapolis alone, but teams in general, when they hire a new coach that first week, or really the first week after you fire a coach, we saw it with Carolina as well, that team just seems to perform for some odd reason. I don't know what it is. I talked about this. I might have been the only person out there saying this, that the second they get a new coach in there, the second they fire Frank Reich, they're going to put Matt Ryan back in. I was talking about that from the moment. People call me crazy on Twitter, and I just chirped back at them. It was so awesome where the second Jeff Saturday, Jeff Saturday got hired, he's like, yeah, by the way, Matt Ryan, better quarterback than Sam Ellinger. He's going to be my starting quarterback. So I was right. You were wrong. Everyone else who chirped me. Um, and so... But maybe coaching in the NFL does matter, right? Everyone talks about, oh, how could he do this? He, bro- he broke protocol. Everyone's just mad. The people who said this, that a guy for who's an outsider, a TV guy, is coming in and making the rest of them look bad because everyone talks about how difficult it is to be a head coach in the NFL. Well, you know what? He's making guys who take a while to adjust, like Robert Sala, for example. He's making you look bad, too, because the first week he comes in and wins. Do I think he'll keep that going this week, Jeff Saturday? I don't know. He's playing against Philadelphia, who's one of the best teams in the league, obviously. Although Philly, they finally lose, right? They showed some weaknesses They ran the ball over and over and over again. I was talking to uh, a friend, an old friend today, and I was talking about how uh, the biggest thing for Philadelphia is their pass rush because their secondary is giving up yards because there's so much time. Like Tyler Heineke was a guy who was under pressure constantly against every team he played against. And for some reason, down the stretch against Philadelphia, he had time to throw the ball deep downfield. And of course, right after I have that conversation, they go out and they go sign and Dominican Sue. So they did address it. We'll see if that helps, if that changes anything for this week. It's already Thursday and maybe they're planning on having him play on Sunday. I don't know if they are, but that was something that I noticed that they needed to adjust. Um, and Indianapolis, another one of those teams that could keep running on you. So I guess that would be Philly minus five and a half on the road at Indianapolis. It's Philly minus seven and a half. So I'm going to take Indianapolis to cover. But this could be another one of those games. And if Philly loses two in a row, it's not like this team was such an incredible team. We talk about eight and zero as if, oh, my God, they're going 17 and zero for sure. Maybe you start talking about undefeated when they're 13 and zero, 14 and zero. 8-0, there's still so much time in the NFL. It's not even halfway with the extra game, with the 17th game. So the fact that we looked at this team, maybe it's the same trap we got into ourselves into when we looked at Arizona last year. Uh, but right now, I don't think this Philly team, they showed some of those weaknesses that they have. Maybe it was a little bit of smoke and mirrors. Obviously, uh, against Indianapolis, a team that maybe their coach is actually pretty good, and maybe he didn't need to rise through the rankings like everyone complained about to be a great NFL coach. And I'm not saying that coaching doesn't matter and that anyone can coach in the NFL. I'm saying that coaching does matter. And yet Jeff Saturday might actually just be a good head coach, but always that first game. We'll see that second game. By the way, Monday Night Football. That was one of my, uh, I guess I won because I took, um, I did take Washington to cover, but I did not take uh, the Washington money line. And uh, 
I had so many bets with Philly money line involved in it, so many parlays with Philly money line. And right before the game, I'm like, should I just hedge and just take Washington money line just straight up, just so I could hedge a little bit against those bets? I did not, and I lost a lot of money on Monday Night Football. Uh, but like I said, in this game, I do have Philly minus seven and a half. I'm going to take Indianapolis plus seven and a half to cover that spread. Speaking of coaching and great coaches. There was a rumor that Sean McVay, and I talked about this, might go back into TV, but that is debunked. Um, I heard from uh, Peter Schrager, who is very good friends, well-known, good friends with Sean McVay, uh, that he is not going to go out like this. So as bad as this season has gone, and it is historically bad, the last time a team that won the Super Bowl didn't make the playoffs was the year after Peyton Manning left. uh, When he retired and left Denver, the Denver team the next year was actually pretty good because it wasn't even Peyton Manning who was carrying them. It was their defense who was carrying them. They won the Super Bowl that year. They did not go back to the playoffs the following year. And that was one of the worst Super Bowl winning teams in recent memory. Um, I don't think this LA team was bad last year, but they've been awful this year. They're at New Orleans. I had New Orleans in this game. I guess it was minus one and a half. But like I said, Sean McVay, He's not going to go out like this. He's going to stick around. It's New Orleans minus three and a half, which is kind of crazy. Um, So I'm going to take the Rams. I know there's no cup, but New Orleans still going with Dalton just doesn't make sense to me. And I think New Orleans is actually pretty bad as well. So I'm going to go with the Rams, maybe not to win in New Orleans, but at least to cover. I think McVay still feels like he has something to prove. He's not just going to lay down the rest of the season. Yeah, they're probably mathematically, or not yet, but they're probably going to miss the playoffs and definitely not win that division in the NFC West. Uh, But still, I don't think he's just going to lay down and lose to a team like the New Orleans Saints and Indy Dalton. I'm going to take the LA Rams to cover the plus three and a half in this game. Staying in that division in Atlanta, what a bad division. We talked about this. Um, Chicago is at Atlanta. I guess it would be Atlanta minus three and a half. It is Atlanta minus three and a half. So everyone is obsessed and obsessing over Justin Fields. All of a sudden, he's this great quarterback. And to me, I don't see it. I mean, I see the running. Let's get this out of the way. He's an incredible athlete. His running is unbelievable. His ability to find the holes in the defense is unbelievable uncanny right there's nobody like him in the league it's Lamar Jackson like the way he runs the football only he can take the hits he's a big thick dude he's kind of like Josh Allen in that sense where he can take the hits but throwing the football at the end of the day I said this before last week I had this on on my notes from last week that I still don't trust him and yes he's really great so all of a sudden the narrative is going to be that he's the best and he's going to go in every draft every redraft of the draft from a couple years ago he's going ahead of Zach Wilson he's going ahead of Trevor Lawrence ahead of all those guys in fact Bill Simmons said and it kind of made me sad Bill Simmons was like can you imagine Justin Fields on the Jets what would that offense look like? He'd fit in perfectly because he'd be able to run the ball and he's tough and he's gritty and you can control it the way they want to play, right? Ground and pound. I get it, Bill Simmons. It's looked incredible on paper what you've seen, but this guy didn't all of a sudden overnight turn into a great quarterback just because maybe they started using him better. Yes, they're letting him run. But if you watch their games, and I said this before the drive, but at the end of the game, when he had to make a drive, he had to make a couple of throws down the stretch, right, just to get them into field goal range. They were down 31-30 to in the game against Detroit. I had Detroit money line in that game, by the way. And they had to drive downfield, just maybe pick up two first downs. He had to stand in there in a two-minute drill and make two throws, and he couldn't do it because... I don't trust him to make those throws. Do I trust Zach Wilson? Is this me being angry about Zach Wilson? If Zach Wilson's not the guy, he's not the guy. I'm not going to apologize for him. And I think we'll see on Sunday whether he's the guy or not. I think 
a big part of them winning if the Jets are able to pull off the upset in New England. It's going to be in largely largely because of Zach Wilson's play. It's it's enough of him, you know, getting off with not playing great and the Jets winning anyway. He needs to make a statement. I think he still has an opportunity to make a statement. Hopefully it doesn't get to his head that he needs to make a statement and then he makes the same mistakes against he made against New England last week. But with Justin Fields, I still don't see it that he can make those few throws necessary to win a football game down the stretch. As of right now, I'm not seeing it. Maybe there's something I'm missing. I see all the talent. I see the running ability, but I don't see him being able to stand in the pocket, make the proper reads, and make the right throws accurately to win a football game. Not only did they not get the few first downs, two or three, to get into field goal range in that game, they did not even pick up a single first down. They go four and out on that drive, turn it over on downs. Justin Fields did. So, yeah, again, Maybe he's running and it's incredible and it's really talented. I can't take that away from him. He's looked really good, but I just don't see him as a winning quarterback right now in the NFL. I still am going to take Chicago because that's what my system, married to the game, married to the system, um, that's what it's telling me to do. It's to take Chicago plus three and a half in Atlanta. Atlanta's pretty bad too, so I don't hate that pick. I still think Chicago can win a lot of games just by him running the ball, but the difference between Justin Fields and Lamar Jackson is Lamar Jackson, when he has time to stand in the pocket, he needs to stand stand in there and deliver key throws at key points of the game. I trust him to do it. I don't trust Justin Fields to do it. Speaking of Lamar Jackson and Baltimore, Baltimore is hosting Carolina, so we'll just close out that division with Carolina, who played Atlanta last week. Um, and that is Baltimore, I guess it would be minus 10.5 at home at MNT Bank Stadium in Baltimore. It's bigger than that. It's minus 12.5. So this is one of the ones I hate because uh, I don't want to take Carolina. I think Carolina is going to get blown out in this game. And if you think about it, the three quarterbacks from that draft who are going to be in this game from the 2018 draft, you obviously have Lamar Jackson and you have on the other side, Baker Mayfield, another guy. He, he always thinks it's a revenge game. So another one of his revenge games for Baker Mayfield. And he's going to be starting and packing him up is going to be Sam Darnold. What a wild, like if you would have told me that Carolina had Baker Mayfield and Sam Darnold you would have told me that in 2018 whereas the MVP Lamar Jackson and a guy who I think is MVP favorite again um, Lamar Jackson is going to be on the other side and speaking of Lamar Jackson winning the MVP here's how I see it going and this could be very interesting we always talk about storylines for the NFL and especially the NFL but in all sports the MVP if Lamar in a contract season is having an incredible year. And I think this Ravens team, like I said, they have a pretty weak schedule the rest of the way. He could maybe even run out the schedule and win all those games, win out the rest of the way for the Ravens or only lose a couple of games. And then the last week of the season, because that's what you look at. The last week of the season, if you look at the schedule, um, I think Cincinnati and Baltimore could be a game for the division. Um, And if that's a game that is going to determine the division, that could be the game that gets flexed to Sunday night football. Of course, we know all the games get played on Sunday. And then there's one Sunday night game, the standalone game, uh, the last week of the season. And that is the last game of the regular season. The other options I looked at are Eagles-Giants. So if the Giants keep up what they've been doing and the Eagles do start to falter, like I think they might a little bit, so that could be a game for the division. That could be Sunday Night Football. Other options, Miami and the Jets, maybe they're fighting for a playoff spot. The team that wins makes the playoffs. Uh, Hopeful thinking if I'm a Jets fan, but I guess. And Buffalo and New England, I don't think New England's going to be battling for the division at that point. I think Buffalo will have secured the division at that point. So I do think it's a real good chance that we see Cincinnati against uh, 
the Baltimore Ravens on Sunday night football for the division in week 17 or week 18, I should say the final week of the season final game of the season. And if Lamar balls out in that game, he is going to win MVP. I'll tell you right now, if that game gets flexed, it's a lot of ifs and I already put money on Lamar to win MVP. But if that game gets flexed to Sunday night football, and Lamar balls out in that game, and he leads the Ravens to victory and leads them to the division title in a contract year. You're going to tell me he's not going to win MVP. That's how we do it. Speaking of his contract, as uh, Lamar Jackson is going from that MVP. I think this is going to happen. Like I said, they're going to win in that game. They're going to win a division, probably win a couple playoff games, maybe even the Super Bowl. He wins MVP, and then they go into the offseason with him as the MVP coming off that crazy season. I want to see him in free agency. I don't want to see the Ravens re-up with him. I want to see maybe the Ravens get him in the end. But I want to see, I don't think, when was the last time we had a quarterback in his prime coming off an MVP season as a free agent? It would be like the NBA, the stories, the rumors going back and forth. I mean, this guy, the payday he would get would be incredible. And you think about Kyler Murray and the contract he got. Because Deshaun Watson, we don't know what he is yet. He got all that guaranteed money. Is Kyler Murray right now and also Russell Wilson, are they hurting Lamar Jackson's potential to have a huge contract. Those two guys got a ton of guaranteed money, and maybe they're not hurting his potential to get a huge contract, but they're hurting his ability to get the guaranteed money like they did because of how terribly poorly those two contracts went. And if he has the MVP season, if they do win the Super Bowl, and he goes to free agency and there's a bidding war, yeah, I could see him getting the guaranteed money. But maybe the Ravens look at this and they're like, see, guaranteed money. You can't really do it. Kyler Murray, the team looked better without him. The Cardinals did. Also, Denver, Russell Wilson, that whole situation. We don't want to get caught up in that. I'm not saying Lamar is that or is those quarterbacks. I think he's better than those quarterbacks at this point in his career and their careers. Uh, but it's just an interesting thought that I thought of uh, in regards to Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens. In this game on Sunday, though, like I said, I have to take Carolina because I trust the system. I hate the system, but I trust the system. Again, take the under, though. I, don't, I, I didn't check, actually, what the over-under was as the points total in this game. I'm going to check it real quick for you so that I could get you an answer on this. It is 41 Yikes, that's very low, but I'm going to take the under anyway. Hopefully the Ravens defense just shuts down Carolina or they both keep it close. Um, I think like a 24 to three win for the Ravens actually makes sense. So yeah, I wouldn't bet Carolina in this game, but my system is telling me to bet them. Um, and I'm definitely going to take the, un- the under because of the, uh, the Frankie theory like we talked about. Next up, so staying on the beltway, we got Washington, the Commanders, after a huge win on Monday Night Football at Houston, Washington, I guess it would be minus three and a half. It is minus three and a half. And 85% of the money right now is on Washington. I'm still going to take Washington. I hate when there's a lot of money on the team, but both of these teams can run. Uh, I'm going to take Washington to cover in this game. Like I said, I hate when 85 or when that much of the money is on the team that is on one team. You usually bet against that, but that's not my system. That's other people's system. So if you want to bet Houston to cover and to win, I would more than understand that. But Terry McLaurin, his leadership, obviously Taylor Heineke, what he's been able to do, Ron Rivera in the locker room, if you didn't see that after the game, it was definitely special to watch. This is a game that's going to be at 1 o'clock in Houston. I will not have this game on my TV of any of my TVs at any point on Sunday, I doubt. But who knows? The NFL always surprises you, so maybe this turns out to be one of the games of the week. I think both teams are just try and run the ball as much as they can and whoever can outlast the other team because Houston and this is 
a theme that I've been talking about and talking about. You're probably tired of hearing me say this, but they went away from the run against the Giants. I think if they would have kept running the ball, they actually win that game. It's a theme we've seen across the league in the NFL, and this is before Thursday Night Football, but we probably saw it tonight on Thursday Night Football. Two teams with a great running game and the team that decided to abandon the run earlier is probably the team that lost in this game on Thursday night football. I don't know. I think the Packers are going to win in this game and cover, but who knows? Oh, I actually think uh, it was minus three and a half. I think Tennessee will cover, but I think the Packers will win. I'll probably be way off because the game is happening. And by the time you hear this, the game already happened and you already heard me recap the game. Um, and I am an Aaron Rodgers stand. So that's probably why I think they're going to win, but back to Washington and Houston, like I said, whichever team abandons the run first is I think the team that's going to lose Damian Pierce, the three headed monster in DC. I think those te- both those teams need to run the ball, control the clock like Washington. The way they beat Philly was by running the ball. They had, I think it was like almost three or just over three yards per carry, which is very bad, but it was the number of carries and the fact that they went back and back and back. And finally, at the end of the game, they broke through. We saw the same thing with the Ravens a couple weeks ago against New Orleans. We've seen the same thing throughout uh, this season in the NFL, across the NFL. We saw it with the Jets against the Bills. We saw it last week also. And so I think teams might start picking up on that. And they might do the same thing again. By the way, you talk about Green Bay against Dallas. How are they able to erase a two-score deficit? It wasn't with Rodgers as much. It was with the run game just sticking to it and going back to it again and again and controlling that game uh, and taking over that game, even though they were down two scores. By the way, I had Green Bay money line in that game. Anyway, so we go to the afternoon games. Like I said, I'm going to take Washington minus three and a half in this game. I think Houston's really bad. And the 4 p.m. games start with Vegas against Denver, another team that's really bad. I guess it would be Denver minus 5.5. It is Denver minus 5.5. I'm going to take Denver. I think Vegas is that bad. And part of why Indianapolis, I talked about coaching and why they won. I think McDaniels is one of the worst coaches in the NFL. And obviously, this is not my guy, Mike McDaniel. This is Josh McDaniel in uh, Josh McDaniels in Las Vegas and they actually said he probably won't be fired because they're still paying two head coaches to other head coaches so it's crazy they're going to go into next year probably with Josh McDaniels as their head coach which to me just because of a money thing is wild but it makes sense how many head coaches are you going to pay um, and everyone talked about last year they were I think seven and one in one score games this year they're 0 and six so you expected that to normalize when you talked about last year and you talked about all the devastation they went through all the things that they went through as a team and obviously the head coach being fired the Henry Rugg situation all these things happening at once it was like how does this team continue to overcome and overcome and overcome it's going to catch up to them at some point and it seems like this year it was just a year delayed it caught up to them all those one score games that they were able to win that was uncanny that they were seven and one in one score games that was going to let up. Yeah, it caught up to them this year. Again, now they're 0-6 in those one-score games, and that's been the difference for them. I think Denver, I don't trust them, but I think they'll win and cover the minus 5.5. It's more of an indictment on Vegas. In the 4.25 p.m. games, we have Cincinnati at Pittsburgh. Cincinnati, I guess, would be minus 5.5. It's minus 4.5. So I'm going to take Cincinnati to win and cover. And at this point, it's time for Cincinnati to start making a run. Another team that can run the ball is Pittsburgh, and I know Mike Tomlin's a good coach team, and it seems like Cincinnati doesn't really play well in their division, even with Joe Burrow the last few years, but it's time. I think they're 5-4 and four right now, Cincinnati. It's time for them to get right and go on a run, and I think they start this week, or I guess it started before the bye last week, um, and I think they start to round closer into shape of the Super Bowl team that they were last year. We talked about it with the Rams. The team that loses the Super Bowl is usually the team that struggles the next year. 
but it doesn't always last throughout the season. It's usually early in the season. They're 5-4 and four to this point. I think they're actually going to make a run at the division at the Ravens. I still think the Ravens will win the division. I think the Ravens are one of the best teams in football, uh, but I think Cincinnati will play a lot better, uh, and it'll start in Pittsburgh in a rivalry game. I'm going to take Cincinnati minus 4.5 to win and cover. The last 425 game is Dallas at Minnesota. I thought Minnesota would be huge favorites in this game. I thought Minnesota, I don't trust Minnesota. I don't like Minnesota. I don't think Minnesota's that good. And yet I still thought they'd be huge favorites because of what they did to Buffalo last week. But they're not. I guess Minnesota minus seven and a half. And this is one of the marquee matchups in the NFL, I guess. Minnesota is only minus a half a point in this game. So Dallas blowing the lead to Green Bay and Minnesota's huge comeback uh, in Buffalo doesn't really affect the NFL line makers. Apparently it's Minnesota at home only minus a half a point. So they get no respect still. And maybe they're going to keep riding that. I know it's a 425 game, so it's not Kirk cousins at one o'clock. It's going to be dark outside uh, when he plays this game because it gets dark so early. And still Minnesota fans are furious. How is this team not getting more respect than they've gotten? I don't know. There's 90% of the money is on Minnesota, so I do like Dallas in this game uh, a lot. I think Dallas will win against Minnesota because I do think Minnesota is a little bit fraudulent, um, but it's going to be, uh, according to my math, I have to take Minnesota because I thought they'd be huge favorites. They're only favored by a half a point. And Sunday night football, a rematch of a great game from earlier in the year, Kansas City against the Chargers. It was the game that actually uh, Justin Herbert got hurt, and it seems like he might still be hurt because... I'm tired of the excuses. I guess it would be Kansas City minus eight and a half. It's only six and a half. I don't understand why people love the Chargers. Their defense is bad. They give up a ton of points. And there was a major step back their offense took from last year to this year. So everyone talked about last year's, oh, if only they made the playoffs, they would have been great in the playoffs. And guess what? The same thing is going to happen this year. They're going to maybe win a couple games down the stretch and look really good. And then all of a sudden it's going to be like, oh, but next year, Justin Herbert, he's going to come out and he's going to play great. When, at what point do you say, he's not playing that great. This is not the guy um, that I expected him to be. I'm going to take Kansas City in this game. Maybe he really is hurt, but I don't know. It just, I don't see it right now with this Chargers team. I know they're missing a couple of big wide receivers throughout the season in Keenan Allen and Mike Williams. And I know that Herbert can do everything on a football field, but he can do everything but win, it seems like. And so I'm going to take Kansas City to win and cover the six and a half against the Chargers in L.A. So those are my picks for Sunday. Like I said, uh, we will have Monday night's pick on the Sunday night podcast as we get back in the groove of things doing Monday, Friday, and Wednesday podcasts. I'm so happy to be back. Uh, So enjoy your weekend, everyone. Those are Sunday's picks. All right. So those are the picks, um, and that's going to do it for today's episode. I did want to mention, because I mentioned at the top that I had not recorded in a while, um, and I just wanted to say that uh, So it really was because I was away and so it just didn't work out but at some point there gets to a point and some stuff that were happening with the podcast um, where sometimes it just becomes a grind becomes hard and you know they always say that I guess uh, if you love what you do you never work a day in your life Uh, but sometimes you have to work towards doing what you love and that also despite it being work uh, is so enjoyable and I do love every second of it but the people, and this is what I love more than anything, is the people who reached out to me who were like, hey, we haven't heard it in a minute. You haven't posted in about a week. What's up? And it was multiple people who reached out to me and said that. And sometimes 
when I don't record, I think to myself, well, it doesn't really matter. No one's listening, right? No one seems to care. No one seems to miss it when it's gone. And that's just not true. And people did reach out and text me and say, hey, what's up? What's going on? And that means so much to me more than I can uh, ever express. And so I always talk about on this podcast how I it truly means so much to me that as I go along on this journey and I'm trying to find my way in this industry, people are kind of just riding along for the ride and coming with me and supporting me along the way. And it's really in- incredible and makes me feel so good that people are doing that. So like I said, I appreciate every single person who listens to this. Please uh, like, subscribe, share it with people, um, rate and review and do all those wonderful things because like I said, it means so much to me and I can't wait to talk to you guys again on Monday. You were the best nights of my life You got the light that always shines I miss the way that you move and the way I get high When you take me to your eyes Like I'm standing in the sky I see your subway cars and your old graffiti I breathe your air when I land in another city I'll be that one that's got you printed on my bones Yeah, you're all I know Everywhere I go Birds flying on the high line With the sidewalks burning We pray for rain in July I want the Yankees 99 yeah. And the Knicks on a sold out night When the curtains close And the Broadway streets are alive hey. I need your heartbeat close Don't you ever leave me And I breathe your air When I land in another city And I'll be that one that's got My time's being just a kid with that empire state of mindset. Kick flipping off a blind deck, dipping from the New York City's finest. Yeah, said I've been up on my New York shit, walking down the block with my New York bitch. I can never leave my city, ain't nothing like it. Even if I do, though, I can never hide it. Top down on the west side when I'm driving, east side be the only side that I'm riding.